This morning, think gifts. The best gift that we can get today is, and hot day like today is air conditioning and perhaps some water. This coming week is the week that we celebrate July 4th. The best gift that we have gotten from our country is freedom. Think gift. Let me ask you, what do you think is one of the most satisfying gifts that one can receive? Most satisfying gift that one can receive. It's not toys. It's not birthday cakes. It's not cards to restaurants or Bloomingdale, or Macy's. Yesterday at a woman's uh, brunch, uh, since it was, I was there. Um, it was held in my house, so I had the privilege to be able to see and observe what they're doing. Mostly they were eating. Um, we were having some small discussion uh, soon after the meal, and then before they start the real get-together, they were discussing the small groups here, like five love languages. I don't know what your love language uh, are or is. There are words of confirmation, active service, touching, quality time, and gifts. Well, mine certainly isn't gifts. Mine is in somewhere in between affirmation and touching, and other people are just different. And it's good that if you know each other, uh, it would be helpful in bettering your relationship. But there is one act of love that is more satisfying than any one of those above attributes. You know what that is? That is being accepted, getting approval. The most satisfying gift of love one can receive is being told you are accepted. You are approved. Think about it. Is there anything more satisfying than that? You are accepted to our group. That's very satisfying. You are accepted to this university that college that you just applied a couple months ago. You've been invited to our party. When you're young, you ask, either boy or girl, do you want to go out with me, go see a movie? Yes, you have been just been accepted. There is nothing more satisfying than being accepted. As act of love. Now, before we go any further, studying about Paul's journey to Jerusalem for his acceptance, his approval by his peer apostles for him to continue to do his ministry, we have a, I have a message for you. And that message is that you are accepted by our God. You have 
already been accepted by our God. When he died, when his son died on the cross on behalf of our sins, we have been accepted. And all we need to do is believe in this very fact. Believe that you have been accepted to his kingdom by blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And don't you forget that no matter what happens to you, that you'll never be left alone into his presence. And if you get up this morning like everybody else, and sometimes whatever worries that we have, we wake up, unfortunately, with those worries. Sometimes the feeling of rejection or even the anxiety. This is a place where you come and to be reminded that we all have been accepted by God just as you are. And if you just simply cast all your worries at the foot of the cross, Jesus will come and remove those obstacles because you've been accepted and heal your wounds, mend the relationship, and help you see water of your life turn into colorful wine of from vines. And I love that story. The first miracle that Jesus performed. You know that story. How Jesus turned the water into wine. This story is not just the story of a miracle. Jesus doesn't go around performing miracle for nothing. There's a message. It's about the message of acceptance, message of approval. It is the acceptance of the spirit of a wedding of our mighty God. He approves that particular wedding, he, by performing that miracle. Yes, he went there, that's perhaps his approval, but the fact that he performed his very first miracle signifies very strongly, I approve, I approve this wedding. I accept this wedding. It is at the same time, it's also acceptance of his role. It is acceptance of Jesus himself now going into ministry, declaring to the world, I am moving. I am going forward now. I am going to begin to do what God has sent me to do. At the first, he was just like us, a little bashful, a little shy, not so sure whether it's now or tomorrow. He says, it is not my time yet. That's his response. But the essence of that story is that Jesus, by turning the water into wine, saying, I accept. I accept the mission. I accept the challenge. And I accept the fact that you recognize me in public as a son of God who can perform miracle only God can do.
So the story that I often tell that's tied to this is about Lord Byron, who is seminarian in England somewhere. Is that England? England somewhere. I forget the, what school, seminary school. is. one of those very famous uh, seminary. He was asked to write the entire story of Jesus turning water into wine into an essay, something simple, well, something essay, and he wrote it in one sentence. He wrote it, the water met its master and blushed. I don't know about you, that's just amazingly condensed everything that is in the story. The water, a simple water, simple just water, when met Master, Christ Jesus, it blushed. It became alive. It became something very special. It means it changed. We change. It means we become alive. We transformed. Acceptance is refreshing. It gives you new life, new hope, and new belonging feeling that you can live again, rejuvenated with a new purpose and a new mission. Now, some of you, obviously, as we uh, live a Christian life, you take these things for granted. But just remember again and again, just as we uh, remember to do the communion, every time we break the bread and drink, the cup to remember our Christ Jesus, we are to remember that we have been accepted to the kingdom of God. And the moment you declare that Christ Jesus is the Son of God, you have been accepted into kingdom. We belong somewhere. We'll never be rejected or dejected. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we unfold how Paul got his approval, his acceptance by the very people he persecuted. Now you say, well, why do we need to get people's approval? For the purpose of unity. And you'll find as we continue to read, it's not something that Paul did it on his own. Paul was revealed by God to go back to Jerusalem and get their approval, get their acceptance. And knowing fully that he does not need acceptance other than Christ Jesus from God. Because grace is sufficient. So let's review the background on Paul. Paul used to be called Saul. He was a bad person. He did not have a great reputation. He was a murderer. He persecuted Christians left and right. He poured all his energy in stopping the good news, the gospel. Then the story goes, one day he was walking to Damascus. 
He got converted. He became a Christian. He became a follower. A light from heaven came down. And not only did light shine on him, the light actually touched him, changed him. Even Paul at that time, he experienced, he experienced water turning into wine kind of experience. And from that moment, he has been preaching about gospel, the good news, all over the land of Gentiles. And he specifically, clearly states that, that what he is preaching comes from what he received directly from God, not from people, not from men. He says very clearly that God revealed all those words to him. Now, Paul at that time was ministering to Gentiles outside of Jerusalem. And an apostle like Peter was preaching in Jerusalem to Jews. That's the really only two difference. Paul to Gentiles, Peter to Jews. Now, because the church, the Christian church began in Jerusalem, Jerusalem became like their so-called headquarter for Christian churches, sort of like the mother church. So after, as he was ministering outside of Jerusalem, and in those days, there was no telephone, there was no internet, and, you know, I only had a horse forever to get one place to the other. Paul had to deal with the charges, suspicion, by some people in Jerusalem that he was perhaps somewhat inferior. Maybe he did not have the right message of the gospel. Somewhat inferior because he was not from Jerusalem. In other words, Paul did not yet get a blessing from the apostles in Jerusalem. You'll recall, some of you, uh, was it last year? Don't remember. Um, I've been doing this roughly. Paul this particular verse says he's been doing the ministering for 14 years. I think I may have been doing it for about 14 years or so. And uh, here, and I was properly installed and ordained by the, the congregation here uh, many some years ago. And uh, as I was um, being invited to Korea, as you know, South Korea, to give uh, testimonies and messages, preaching and all that kind of wonderful stuff, and people here had a little concern. Tim, uh, you know, if you go to Korea, like 90% of Christians or Presbyterians are conservative, evangelical Christians. They have their own ways. They have their own traditions. In the Bible reading today, you'll probably refer to so-called circumcision. They have their own traditions. If you're not from the Presbyterian, you may not be received very well. I said, I don't have a problem with that. I'm inviting me anyways. But still. We want to have a separate little ordination from the our world, which I kind of refused in the beginning, but 
later on, as I was reflecting on the words and consulting uh, with the other people in the congregation, we agreed to do so. Perhaps it was the right thing to do. And exactly that's what Paul is going through. He's been ministering for 14 years, received directly from the God to do so. He's been doing it. But then there was like 14 years of little spies coming along to watch him and reporting back to uh, the uh, uh, Jerusalem apostles saying, you know, uh, Paul is doing the ministering. He's not even circumcising the people, the Christians. Because that's their tradition. So that's the picture. That's the picture. So he goes on to Jerusalem. Basically, there's two things. He once again states to God, the states to them, that God revealed to him all that he's preaching about. Also, he states that I'm not going this on my own will. Not because I'm thinking or calculating about what I think is right. I'm going because God told me to go to Jerusalem. I did not want to go there just to get their approval, but I am going there to see the unity of gospel so it doesn't have different messages. Thus, he was looking for that acceptance that would turn into the unity of the body of Christ, the church. So he takes along two friends. Sometimes witness friends are very important. It's very important. It was so cool uh, a couple years ago when I went to give a message, I took Linda Van Acker with me to testify together. So cool. It's good to take. So I'm trying to go to whatever time I go to different churches, whatever. Now I'm trying to make an effort to one of you with me. So he takes two friends, Barnabas, who was his co-worker, and Titus was a Gentile who was converted through Paul's ministry. So if you remember, just to make it very clear, so you don't get confused between man's approval versus God's approval, the importance here is God's approval. God's acceptance is the only thing you need But for the sake of the unity of the gospel, the message, he's seeking the approval of his pure apostles from the mother churches in Jerusalem. So you remember the the first thing that uh, we saw last week. Instead, if you're here for the first time, we're working on uh, uh, Paul's uh, Galatians as our series. This is the third series on the Galatians. We looked at, last week, a statement, a prelude, very important for the discussion of Galatians and the work, the journey of Paul. Paul, an impossible. Here's the title. Here's authority. Sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So you can see, he makes a very clear statement. I am an apostle. You can't deny that. doesn't matter who, whether I was blessed by your peers or not. I am apostle. I was blessed. I was accepted by our Christ Jesus himself. 
He revealed all this to me. So it is very clear that you understand we don't need a man's approval, but only God's approval, and that's how Paul was able to preach. So in this chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, that we are going to be studying today, the essence of this message is this. That he wanted to make sure that his teaching that he's been doing for the last 14 years was not in conflict with the message of Jewish leaders of the church in Jerusalem at that time. It was very important that his message that he's been going around telling everybody is not in conflict with the message of the leaders in Jerusalem. It is important that he continued to stress the importance of grace, that the message of gospel that he preaches is directly from God, not from man. Very critical. And Paul had one big thing that he had to deal with them, and that was the issue of circumcision. Even his friend Titus, who was Greek, didn't see the need to do the circumcision. Saying that grace, grace is sufficient. That one does not need to follow a tradition. So let's look at Galatians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 5. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response. I went in response to revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. That next sentence is very interesting. But I did this privately to those who seem to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. It's a kind of important that he actually went, not in public, to argue, to confront, or to discuss, or to debate, but went to see the leaders first, privately, telling the sentiment in verse 3, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. This matter arose, here's the challenge, because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. However, Verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you, meaning the grace is sufficient. Don't mix with the other stuff. Grace is sufficient. 
Don't mix with other traditions, other values. Not even the values from Old Testament. It's grace alone. Verse 6. Well, before we yield to that, it just, just kind of reminds us about the wisdom that Paul was exercising or God revealed to him. How often do we do some things on our own without seeking, without talking to the leaders or for youngsters talking with the parents? It is wise when there is potential conflict, go and talk to leaders first and come to understanding, come to a unity for the sake of the body of church or body of family or body of the workplace. Verse 6, in stressing that grace is sufficient, basically that's what he's saying to the people or the leaders, in verse 6, he just gives to them. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Oh, you think the circumcision is important to the Gentiles? Whatever they are, God does not judge by external appearance. Those men add nothing to my message. It is all about grace. It is all about the fact our Lord Jesus died for you and I. If you believe in him, if you believe in him in faith, you are accepted. That was his message. I don't need any other stuff. I don't need help with other vows, traditions. If it's your tradition to circumcise, go ahead and do it. But don't impose other things as part of the grace. Because at that time, the tradition of Jew was that in order for you to become Christian, you had to be circumcised, which was a carryover from New Testament, Old Testament. For seven, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jew, was also at work in my ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles. Whatever the core value, whatever the core, the grace that Peter has to preach to the Jews is exactly the same thing that I'm preaching to Gentile. No difference. The true, the core of the message of the grace. So verse 9, and he gets approval. He gets accepted. Verse 9 says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars. Gave them, gave me and Barnabas 
the right hand of fellowship when they recognize the grace given to me, the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. There is acceptance. There is approval. There is a unity between the churches of Gentile and churches of Jew in Jerusalem. Smart thing to do. In verse 10, as they basically commissioned Paul 14 years later or part of a blessing, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, that which is the very thing I was eager to do. Verse 9 and 10 basically says Paul was accepted by God with grace. And then Paul was accepted by his peers, the apostles in Jerusalem. And they encouraged him, keep on doing what you're doing. Remember, keep on loving the poor, meaning Keep on remembering those who are in need. Remember my ultimate command to love your neighbor as yourself. The lesson for us is this. It is important that we accept that Christ accepted us because of grace. When scripture says love others as yourself means accept your neighbor, accept with the love, accept with the forgiveness, accept with the reconciliation, accept with the patience, accept with thanksgiving, accept with all the fruits of the Spirit. So how do we really accept our friends, our neighbors unconditionally? Well, here's the key. You first have to let God just love you. Because that's what he desires to do. And let God simply accept you as you are. And let him just hug you and curl you. Tuesday, December 15, 1998. Are you listening? 1998. That was the time when I was in the hospital for five months waiting for heart transplant surgery. It's almost 1998. It's almost like 20 years. I keep saying it's like 17 years ago. I've been correct my uh, Matthew. 20 years ago. It was my second heart transplant. My friend, Pastor David Che, who, who used to be our uh, senior pastor here for some time. He got online with me. And here's how we chat. I kept a record of it. Well, I guess if you're in online, everything is in record. David. Hello, team. How are you feeling? Me. 
I'm doing okay. David, so tell me, what has God been teaching you lately? Me. My prayer of focus has been on seeking his will in understanding a new insight or mission that he might have for me again. There must be a reason why he's putting me here in this hospital again. No matter how long I stay here, if I can leave this hospital, this place with one thing, just one, I want one new perspective. If I can gain one new perspective, one new insight, it will be a huge gain. I want to be able to leave this hospital with another one of those heal me moments. David, more work? Tim, just allow him to love you. Allow him to just love you. That really spoke to me. I thought I already did. But that's just being still and just allowing his touch to comfort me. Instead of just keep on trying to do something, find something, just allow God to love you. That is saying, just accept that God has already accepted you as who you are. You don't need to do a whole lot. What my friend David is saying is this, accept him even now in that situation, in that challenge. Accept him as almighty God, even as you're facing challenges. And when you do accept, that's when God is going to reveal a new plan, new insight. So that you could accept his love to its fullest. He's not putting any condition on you. He just wants us to experience his love. It is a good time for you to reflect right now and just to think, Am I re- have I really accepted him? I know you believe in him. I know you accept him, but have you really accepted him to the point where you can just enjoy that moment, even though you may be going through the difficult time? That's what my friend David is saying. I know you're going to hardship right now. I know you're in a, in a technically uh, a troublesome, miserable place called hospital. I know you're facing the life and death situation. But you're a man of God. Just accept that God has already accepted you. Verse 10 is... Something for us to also to ponder. Even though it says grace is sufficient, verse 10, it's an encouragement. It's not a condition, but it's an encouragement. What does the verse 10 says? All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. 
Here's encouragement to continue to do good work. While grace has no condition, but faith also requires work. The work of good news. Love your neighbor as yourself. The verse that says, continue to remember the poor. It also means those who are poor in spirit, just as well as poor in hunger. Remember for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Fundamentally, to be able to do that, it requires that we need to accept them first. Now that we have received grace by accepting Lord Christ Jesus, now we need to accept people around us. Accept them just as they are. And do not judge based on their looks as it was told in verse 6 or their previous wrongdoings. We know from Apostle Paul that Paul had authority to speak the word of God. And those words were revealed to him directly from God. And therefore, Paul had an authority. Paul also desired unity in preaching. So God showed him the way by revealing him to go to Jerusalem to meet other apostles and get their approval. The pillars of the church were known at that time. James, Peter, and John gave Paul the blessing. They reminded Paul, we do this because of grace. That grace is sufficient. Affirming that one need not impose one's value that are not necessarily in line with grace to be the requirement for salvation. Thus, grace is the authority. And the bottom line is Jesus is the authority. And with this authority... Jesus has accepted us. And never, no matter what, we will not be rejected or dejected from his kingdom. And God's last word was keep doing. Continue to remember our Savior by accepting our neighbors. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, thank you so much for accepting us. Just as you.